All right. Good morning to you. We are so very glad that you have come and worshiped with us today. Thank you, especially members, for coming, for our special guests. Uh, we have some first-time guests today. Thank you so much for coming. And, you know, our prayer is that when you leave today that you'll take something home from God that will help you through this week. We want to make sure that um, something happens in your life that will apply to your life and that you can take home. And most incredibly, if you don't know Jesus... That'd be the best thing to take home ever, really would. Hey, well, listen, we are um, in the midst of a series, and, well, it was supposed to end today. I know you guys are probably never hear Mission Impossible without thinking about this series, or at least saying Dorisville Baptist Church. But, but we're going to extend the series one more week, and I'll tell you why. Um, I was studying this week, and it always happens. I really... You know, I crock pot this thing all week long and then get really serious Friday, Saturday, and Sunday morning about ways. To, and I'm studying. I'm going, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. So when you get your sermon sheet out, you're going to see it doesn't match up because, like, it changed yesterday. And the reason it changed, you know, Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2 is one of my favorite scriptures. And, and I, you know, I, I didn't want to preach it again because it was like two years ago. We preached it. And, and someone's going to go, does he know anything else? Besides Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2. And I really do. And, and then I was studying it and I said, oh no, we can't go forward till we go back. And so anyway, that's the story of why we're doing what we're doing today. But let me tell you something cool. We had our first member, our latest member of FBOA. There you go. Future Baptist of America. Tyler and, and Sarah are here today with Blakely Joe for the first time. She's a couple weeks old. Give them a round of applause today. We are glad you are here, uh, Blakely Joe. It's so funny. It's funny how details stick into your brain. You know, I was visiting, the whole, you know, I was holding the baby, you know, and it really is. It's incredible. This child is so cute. In spite of the fact that Rod Wallace is the grandfather. I mean, it's really just, just crazy, incredible. But anyway, so I'm holding this beautiful little baby, you know, and I'm getting the details, you know, because you got to give them to the newsletter. And so I so, said, well, you know, when was she born? 4.58, you know, p.m. on Thursday. And, and how long was she? 19 inches. And I remember Sarah, I said, how much did she weigh? And Sarah goes, 6.78. I said, got it. See, so if you want to call a meeting, get everybody on time, you call for 559, not for 6. Remember that little detail, all right? Now, did you see the sermon title? It's just a little bit different today. A few of my favorite things. Now, again, I'm, I'm getting a little bit older like other people. Like, for instance, Mackenzie Holloway turns 15 today. Yeah. And someone else, Mackenzie, shares your birthday, but she's a whole lot older than you. And we're going to leave it there rather than get killed, okay? But remember, our congregation turns 69 today. You figure out who that person is. See, isn't that nice and safe? Yeah, give, give her a round of applause, too. Yeah. All right, very good. So anyway, a few of my favorite things, and it goes back to an old, old movie called The Sound of Music. And I wrote the words down. I was going to sing it, but I chickened out, you know. But it goes, raindrops on... And here's the problem. Here's the problem. So if you remember this movie, you know, we have these bunch of kids on the bed with Julie Andrews, you know, and they're all afraid because the lightning and thunder is going off. And like this 15-year-old man, boy, has this nightgown on going, 
There's just something weird about that. But anyway, so they're singing raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. Bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens. Brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. And it goes on and on. But here... No. <laughs> Thank you. And then the closing verse says this. When the dog bites, when the bee stings, when I'm feeling sad, I simply remember my favorite things, and then I don't feel so bad. And what Julia is teaching us is that, you know, we can change how we act and, and our fear factor and all those things by thinking, by the way we change our thinking. And that is, that is pretty good theology in one sense, and that is that, you know, we, how we perceive God and our relationship with God really is very, very important. Now, I know I would probably have my critics in saying this, understanding that God is incredibly holy and righteous and pure and all those wonderful things, understanding that. Here's what I want you to take home today. One of the things I want you to take home today is that you, his children, you blood-bought believers in Jesus Christ, you are one of his favorite things. When God looks at you, he sees you as, well, we're going to read it just a moment, as an incredible creation of his. He loves having you as his child. And when you start understanding that, guess what happens? God becomes one of your favorite things and perhaps should be your favorite thing. When we understand and think about how much God loves us, we in turn understand how much we should love God. In fact, um, David shared this with me. John Piper says it this way. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Let me read that to you again. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied with him. And as we, as we understand who God is and how much he loves us, how merciful he is toward his children... Wow, we get this incredible feeling of satisfaction. And when we understand how much he loves us, we reciprocate then with an incredible love that he's worthy of and he deserves. So today we're going to start part one and part two of these final two messages in this series about what is our responsibility as believers? Um, what does God want us to do? Well, again, that's tied in with how we perceive, how God perceives us. And this is on your sermon sheet. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, let's see these wonderful words. Now again, if you were here Sunday night, you heard this, and you probably heard it recently, this is a nugget. This is one you almost need to write down the reference to or memorize. For we, and that's all of us, for we are his workmanship. Let me just pause there. Because this is not the pastor trying to come up with something cute to say about this word and what it means in the Greek. Literally, the word workmanship... In the Greek means work of art. We would not be a stretch at all to say, let me read again now. Paul says this, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, for we are his work of art. We are his masterpiece. That's how God sees you. That's how God perceives you. When, when God thinks about Ken Erickson, he goes, there's one of my masterpieces. When he looks at John Kent, he goes, there is one of my masterpieces. Um, God doesn't see you as, as one person shared this week, I'm, I'm just a messed up kid. God doesn't see you that way. 
In fact, you need to stop thinking that way. Because you're, if you are a Christ follower, God in heaven declares, you are a masterpiece. And when you understand his perception of you, that's going to impact how satisfied you are in him. He wants you satisfied in him. And that happens. And he is glorified when we understand just how he perceives us. We blood-bought believers in Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? I mean, I'm telling you, you are a masterpiece. You are a work of art. And I don't mean Picasso either. I was thinking more like Mona Lisa. Picasso, you know, you look at Picasso and you kind of go, hmm, that dude had a drug problem, you know? Okay? But you look at Mona Lisa, Rembrandt, and some of those others, you think of the masterpiece. So, so Paul says, we are his workmanship. We are his work of art. We are his masterpiece created. How did all that happen? Dwayne, how did I become a masterpiece? It became the day that you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. When you believed that, that the Son of God died on a Roman cross, shed His blood, suffered the wrath of God, died, resurrected, that day in Christ Jesus, not because you're good, not because you go to church, not because you do good works, not because you're a nice person, not because you have a great personality, but in Christ Jesus, when you became in Christ you became a masterpiece in Christ Jesus. And watch this. He says, created for what? Good works. Now, this follows, this follows Paul saying that, that for by grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. Through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should boast. And then he turns right around and says, but you're his masterpiece. Created. For, not, not to do in the sense of salvation or a favor, but you're created for good works. In other words, we have this intense privilege and this great invitation to come alongside of God and do His kingdom work in this world. And we do it individually as believers, individually as believers, but we also do it corporately as the church at Dorsville. And if you're here as a guest today and you're a Christ follower, when you go back to wherever it is you call church home, that body of believers, that ecclesia, is called out to do good works. How? In Christ Jesus. So he has this mission for us. And not mission impossible, but mission possible because of Jesus Christ. And, and the cool part is, you know, it's not like, again, I think I shared this not too long, maybe last Sunday night. I was, it's not like, you know, you were born one day, like when Blakely, Blakely Joe, you know, was born, that, that God said, now I wonder what I want her to do. You know, one day as she freely trusts Christ in her own accord, God already has a plan for Blakely Joe's life. And it's created to do the good works out of, out of love and reverence for him as she trusts Jesus Christ as her Lord and as her Savior. And all this was done, all this was done beforehand that we should do them. So what I'm trying to tell you is this. You know, some of you are looking for life. You're, you're Christ followers. You know Jesus. You're on your way to heaven. But you're going, it just doesn't seem to be rich. It doesn't seem to be full. When you start understanding how God perceives you, that changes how you perceive God. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And all of a sudden, the things, and Judy, this is what you're talking about in Sunday school, the things of, of, of the Word and the things of living the Christian life, they're not done out of guilt and fear. Write this down. Guilt and fear are two of the worst motivators, motivators there are. They're horrible. You know, 
you know, you, 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 know, you, you threaten your kid. And you know how long that threat lasts? That threat lasts? Until you're out of sight. You know, we, we, we pastors have a horrible habit of trying to guilt things on people. Guilt, 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 guilt. Make them feel guilty. And that guilt's a horrible motivator on a couple different levels. Rather, perceive how God sees you in Christ Jesus through the blood of Jesus. You are his workmanship. You are his masterpiece. And then as we in turn respond to that love, we have the high privilege of doing good works for his kingdom. He entrusts that. As we heard last week, he entrusts that to us. So that brings us then, how does that happen? And that brings us to Romans chapter 12. My intention was to drop in on verse number 3. And as I studied that, it kept referencing back verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 and 2. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. We cannot not go back to 1 and 2. Because it sets up the entire structure for verses 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. So we had to go back. And I, I honestly believe, even if you heard this before, even if you go, oh yeah, I remember two years ago, I wrote my Bible, Dwayne, Dwayne preached this scripture two years ago or eight months ago, however long ago it was. There is so much power in this for us to become satisfied in Him and glorify Him in our life. It is rich. In fact, one of the commentaries said, of all the New Testament scriptures... This one has more truth and more theology than virtually for its size than virtually any other scripture that there is. So it all starts out, Paul writing to the Roman church in verse number 1 of chapter 12 says this. I beseech you, I urge you, I call to you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. That's just Paul's there. I urge you by the mercies of God. The word therefore, what do you always do? You look why it's there. It's like Paul is saying. Now, Romans has been called the fifth gospel. It is just an incredibly rich book. In fact, can I be honest with you? I love it's over my head. It's over the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's just... Whew. The reason I haven't talked through the book of Romans is I'm not sure I have that much faith yet because it's just a hugely, wonderfully deep book. Brilliant minds. Brilliant minds have preached through it. And, and I pray God one day will give me the understanding where I can preach through the book of Romans because it is just an entirely, entirely... Rich, So it's been called the fifth gospel. And it's like Paul is saying, in light of chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, I therefore beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God. In light of what I've taught you for 11 chapters, I now encourage you. And he says, because of these incredible mercies of God, by the mercies of God. Um, mercy means you know, unmerited favor. The, the unmerited kindness. That's even better. The unmerited kindness of God, Because you've experienced the unmerited kindness. And you may say, what, what's, what's a good definition of mercy? A good definition of mercy is this. That God in his mercy did not give us what we do deserve, which is judgment. But God in his mercy gives us what we don't deserve. And that's forgiveness. Because of this incredible, incredible kindness. Nothing we merit. Nothing we could ever merit. merit. He just... Gives it to us because he is God. Because of his son, Jesus Christ. Because of this wonderful mercies of God. I want you to present your bodies. The word present there simply means to make available. To, to take this. And by the way, this is a tool. This is a tool. 
a tool that one day, as we heard earlier, that God will make brand new one day. Even when it dies, it will be resurrected to a brand new form and power like we can't even imagine. That you are to present this tool to God. Now, now here's the thing. The tool can be used for good or bad. In Romans chapter 6 and verse number 13, he says, Paul says this, And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. Paul says, present this body, make it available to God as an instrument of righteousness. Not, not, not one to bring him disdain, not, not one to, to, to bring him shame in this world, but one that will bring him glory, glory. Oswald Chambers wrote these words. We have the idea... That we can dedicate our gifts to God. However, you cannot dedicate what is not yours. There is actually only one thing you can dedicate to God, and that is your right to yourself. If you will give God your right to yourself, He will make a holy experiment out of you. And His experiments always succeed. The one true mark of a saint of God is the inner creativity that flows from being totally surrendered to Jesus Christ. The only we can't say, okay, God, you can have my you can have my time, but not my money. You can have my talents, but not my money. You can have you can have this or not that. We we can't surrender just partially gifts. Paul is saying he wants all of you. Present your body. What what what? A living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Now, how many of y'all are a little bit familiar with the Old Testament sacrificial system? Just a little bit. You know in the Old Testament, remember how they sacrificed goats and lambs and all those things? Looking forward to the cross. You remember those? You know, there were multiple kinds of sacrifices. But there were major, they kind of fall in two major categories. One was the sacrifice for sin. And the other is praise and gratitude. One was looking forward to the cross as the, as the blood of sheep and goats were shed. Looking not, not that they could purify, but looking forward to the Lamb of God who would one day die... They had sin offerings. Well, guess what? We don't have to offer our bodies as that kind of sacrifice. You know why? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Because of what Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, did on a Roman cross like that, we don't have to offer ourselves as sacrifices for sin. And could not. And could not. Listen. What he is calling us to is a life of sacrifice, of praise and gratitude. Not trying to get him to wink at us. You did pretty good, Dwayne. Good boy, Dwayne. But a heart that just flows out of gratitude. A heart that flows out of the pleasure of who God is and what he's done. That is a good motivator. That's a wonderful motivator. I like what David Livingston said. David Livingston said this. I never made a sacrifice. We ought not to talk of sacrifice when we remember the great sacrifice which he made who left his father's throne on high to give himself up for us. My friend Matt, who left a very lucrative career to go serve on the mission field, will tell you he made no sacrifice. Rarely do you find a missionary who knows the word sacrifice. They simply see it as what they should do as Christ followers. Because of what Jesus Christ did for us, how can we but offer our lives as sacrifices to Him of praise and thanksgiving? 
And sometimes, sometimes that means going someplace else in the world. But you know, Jesus, when he said in the Great Commission, as you go. For most of us, it simply means that as we walk through life, we live out of the pleasure of serving an almighty God. Because of what Christ has done for us. It means a, a hunger to be and share Jesus Wherever we go. You may say, well, how's that happen, Dwayne? Oh, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. All right? So, so he says, present your, your body as this living sacrifice. Holy, which simply means set apart. Acceptable. Pleasing to God. And all this is what? If you got the New King James, the Old King James, you are reasonable service. If you got the NIV or one of the later translations, it says, which is your act of worship. Your act of spiritual worship. And that is so Good of a translation. The word reasonable that the New King James and King James translates there means spiritual. It means, it means a part or a genuine part of something. And of course the word service translates an act done in worship. So, so when Paul says we present our bodies a living sacrifice, all of us, we are simply worshiping him. Now once again, our team did it. I hope you say Amen. Our team did an incredible job of leading us in worship. Tiffany's song, so fit. Once again, the Holy Spirit just put that together. Let us in worship. But look at me. Here's what I want you to get. Your most vibrant worship will not be in this room. Your most vibrant worship takes place when you go out into that world and live Christ out at a vibrant love for him and what he's done for you. That is the most wonderful form of worship that there is. And God calls us to this. Just surrender yourself. Uh, sacrifice yourself. Not for sin. But as praise and gratitude for the one who died. For the one who now lives. And for the one we'll spend eternity with. Because of what he did for us. Now that will change your concept of being a Christian. Because I'm telling you. Too often. Listen. Look at me. Look at me. Too often, too did I shake my finger at you? I didn't mean to. Too often, we live our lives just full of guilt. The reason you don't like being a Christian is because, again, either you, for some reason, you just feel guilt, 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 guilt. Can't keep up. Can't do. Can't meet the standard. Can't. Well, you can't meet the standard. But Jesus did. Get over this rule keeping. I've got to be good or else God won't like me. And understand, He not only likes you, He loves you. And He proved it forever on that Roman cross. Forever. And when these pastors get up and they want to guilt you and shame you, tell them to get over and experience grace. Too long. Too long we followed this path from the 50s and the 60s about trying to earn God's favor. We understood we couldn't earn salvation. We just thought we had to be good boys and girls for God to like us. And we're discovering in Romans and, and all throughout the New Testament this wonderful thing of grace. That God did it all. And all I can do is respond, one, to salvation by faith, you know, in Jesus Christ. But then I just keep responding in love. And here's what that does for you. Instead of getting up and saying, I, I have to go to church, as you respond in love, all of a sudden, you get to go to church. I mean, I'm serious. I'm serious. All of a sudden, these things that sometimes you feel guilty of, all of a sudden, you find yourself wanting to do them. Because of this incredible love. 
Now, now Paul says, and someone's saying, that sounds so good, Dwayne, but I'm listening, I've been a Christian a long time, and I've never experienced that. Well, hang on, let's see, let's see if we can walk through God's Word, okay, and see if we can find a way that this is supposed to happen in our lives, okay? Here's what he says. Paul says in verse 2, and do not be conformed, now here you go, do not be pressured, here, 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 do not be squeezed by the world. Can anyone say amen with that? Have you ever experienced that? So then the pressure, don't the world want to squeeze you? Doesn't the world want to put the pressure on you to conform? You know, no one, no one likes conformists. You know, got to conform, got to conform. Well, good, because God says, don't conform. And what he says, don't conform to is the beliefs, the values, the standards, the pressures of this world. Now, now, if you're not a Christ follower, I know that sounds like really weird. I'm telling you, as a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit of God, part of God himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, came to live within you. And he's that power that enables us not to be conformed. It's almost like we'd be a choiceless factor. But when you add God into it, part of God living in you, all of a sudden, that power is there. So, so that's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying, man, don't be pressured by the world because you've got something better. You've got the Holy Spirit living within you. And, and what you can't do, he can do through you. Okay? Now, now well, how's this work, Dwayne? Okay. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And that in the Greek means a, to change the essential form of. To be transformed. To change something. And this is so cool. To be, don't be transformed. Getting too fast. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, there it is. Now, write this down. The word renewing there in the Greek is where we get the word metamorphosis. Like you take a caterpillar who turns into a beautiful butterfly. So Paul says there's a process whereby our minds are transformed. From something that's, that's immature, that's something that's hard, to something that's beautiful. And so he says, transform, allow your mind to be transformed, um, to make it new, to make it different. Now, who wants to guess how that happens? Now, first off, it happens through the power of Christ. We got that. And I've already told you, it happens through the Holy Spirit. Now, again, I, I need to pause because I just feel somebody quaking in here. That's that seven times he's mentioned the Holy Spirit. Are we becoming Pentecostal? Um, he is part of the Godhead. I checked. Okay? He really bothers Son, Holy Spirit. He's in there, okay? But, but that transforming power is the Holy Spirit. But there's something else. And that is the Word of God. This wonderful, wonderful book. I think sometimes we struggle with it. But this wonderful book... It's God's map. It's God's guide to living in life. And, and I, now listen carefully. God doesn't want you to do this so you can gain his favor. Or do this because you've got to keep the rules. And I really think there are people who feel that way. They understand that. This is why I feel so guilty. This book right here. This book makes me feel guilty. If you will understand that this is God's love letter to you. And the things he put in here are for your betterment. That God has your best at his heart. And when he says, for instance, you know, sex is within marriage, there's a reason for that. When he says he hates divorce, there's a reason for that. When he says that temperament and alcohol is hugely important, there's a reason for that. When he says don't gossip, there's a reason for that. God understands, because he created us, how to make life full and satisfying. 
And you will find answers to that in this book. This is not simply a thou shalt not and thou shalt. This is a book of freedom. In fact, we looked at a scripture last week in Sunday night or Wednesday night, I believe it was, where, where God's word says, and his commands are not burdensome. They're not like we carry a load through life. Oh, I've got to get it right. No. God's word is freeing. Freeing. So are you starting to see a picture here? Have you seen you know, that, that we, because of what Christ has done, we present our bodies, our tools, in, a, in an act of sacrifice, not for sin because it's already paid for in Jesus Christ. We offer a sacrifice of praise and, and love to God. And we understand how much He loves us. We inspire and love Him and want Him to be glorified in our lives. And, and He encourages us not to be conformed to this world because the world is death. I mean, let's face it. Look at the lives of most people you know who don't know Jesus. Some seem to be happy. Most are miserable. And God called us from that. So he says, what I want for you to do, don't be, don't be squeezed by this world. Don't, don't believe everything they say. But rather, renew your mind. Let a metamorphosis come through your mind. Let, a, let your mind be made new, he says. Why? That you may prove, that you may um, test what is that good and acceptable perfect will of God. His will, which is good and perfect. See, will you trust me today? Well, not really will you trust me. We trust God's word. As we discover those good works that he foreordained for us, as we understand his will for our lives, that's when life really becomes purposeful. All of a sudden, parenting is fuller. Um, marriage is fuller. Husband and wife roles are fuller. Uh, the life of a student toward mom and dad, the life is just fuller. There's more purpose. There's a reason to get up. You know, i got a friend. And he's a distant friend. Um, hopefully we'll have a prayer time. I told you, don't let me close that prayer time today. But the former pastor at First Baptist, Mike Davis, is just days away from death with pancreatic cancer. And we were talking about, and I said these words, I said, his legacy is longer than his years. Mike is like 65 years old, way too young to be dying. But his legacy is so much deeper and longer than that. Why? I honestly believe because of what I'm trying to say today. He presented his life a living sacrifice. And, and the richness of your life is not determined by the number of years you live, but how you live those years in Christ. Does that make a little bit of sense? Now listen, I know some of you are looking for this. I know this. As a pastor, you know why? Because y'all know I, I live with you. I live, I could preach on the floor today and, and say amen in my own sermon because these are things I wrestle with. When, when you see the world sometimes having all its toys and craziness, sometimes it seems confusing. But when it comes time for the last heartbeat and you look back and there's a rich legacy of following Christ. There's children and grandchildren who know Jesus because you demonstrated that to them. There are people who you know who know Jesus now because of that. There's few regrets with finances and marriages and things like that and relationships. It will be worth it all. It will be worth it all. It really will. So, so Paul says, go ahead, go ahead, renew your mind. Prove what is this good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
And finally, it's like you might be going, okay, what does this have to do with what am I supposed to do in the body? You know, it's like here's A and here's Z. How does it connect? And we find that starting in verse number 3 through 5, and we'll finish next week as we look at really what are the gifts that God has given us. Now, here's what Paul says. For I say, and this is the same forcefulness where he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. So that same force, he says, but I say, through the grace given to me. That's Paul's there. Now, what do we normally think about grace? Grace is um, saving grace. Can I have an amen? Um, Living grace. You know, grace the granddaughter, if you have one. Um, Grace, dying grace. See, grace is a call or opportunity to minister. Uh, Paul said in in the book of Corinthians, he said, now, just like you flourish in this and this and this, and talking about giving, flourish in this grace also. So so Paul is saying through the grace given to me, it's, it's his assignment for ministry. So Paul's saying, my assignment to ministry is to help you grow in Christ. And we all have assignments in ministry. They're called spiritual gifts. They're called things that God wants us to do for his kingdom through the ecclesia, through the body. So, so here's what he says. You know, because of the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, every Christ follower, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. There's the deal. See, our tendency, when I said a few of my favorite things, you know, you said, that would be me. See, in my world, I'm my favorite thing. Someone once said, this way, a guy spent 15 minutes telling another person all about him. And then he said, enough about me. Tell me what you think about me. See, so often the problem is the reason we can't present our bodies, the reason why it's not wholly acceptable, the reason why we're not reading our minds is because we think more of ourselves than we should. The reason churches split is because we think more of ourselves than we should. The reason people get mad and leave churches is because we think more of ourselves than we should. It's the truth. So, so Paul says, so Paul says, here's what I tell you. Listen, by the assignment of ministry I have, don't think too highly of yourself. Um, I, I can't remember when I say what I say, but I think it was last Sunday night. We got to understand that we were depraved sinners, that we were lost. We were separated from God. We were on a fast track, track to a Christless hell. And on our very best day, our very best day, there was nothing good in us in the eyes of God. Nothing. I mean, before you get all puffed up, you need to read what the Word says about us apart from Christ. Now, I'm not trying to get to walk out going, the preacher said I'm just all garbage. I don't think I can ever come to church again. Whoa, way, way. You're just depraved. You're just a sinner without Christ, separated from a holy God. But by His grace, you become a masterpiece. But you didn't make the masterpiece. He made the masterpiece. See? So, so He says, don't get all puffy. You know, that's a problem some of us have. We have a puffy problem. I like the little button that says, use not fat, you're puffy. Or is it fluffy? <laughs> all right? So, so keep that thought in mind. 
Keep that small. Don't think more of yourselves than you should. Because, listen, listen. When it comes to the ecclesia, when it comes to the body of Christ, when we think more of ourselves, trouble is down the road. Trouble is down the road. So Paul says, if this thing is going to work, which we're going to talk about in a moment and then next week, if it's going to come together, if we're going to function like a body of Christ, we've got to get over ourselves. We have to. It's got to be all about him and them and not about us. Okay? So, 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 so he says, all right, so, so don't think more of yourself than you should, more highly than you ought to think. But to think soberly, soberly. As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. The, the word soberly there, do you need to realize this? this? This is a game changer. It's so simple. I owe, we owe everything to God. To me, to be soberly means that in light of what God has done. And he's done it all. So, so, he says, so he says to us, now look, think soberly as God has dealt. With sober judgment. With deep understanding. That Jesus has done everything. Now give me about a minute. You know, some of you, you're so incredibly gifted. You, 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 you're so, you've done so well in this world. And you have. But you please understand, everything you are, everything you have, everything you will be, is because of God. It's because of God. I mean, be very careful when you find yourself saying, I did, I did, I did, I did. And you may well have, but you did it. If you're a Christ follower, particularly you did it through Christ. Christ did it through you. So he says, don't, don't, don't think too highly. He said, in fact, in fact, listen, think soberly with an understanding that all you are, all you are, all you are is because of what God has done. He created the masterpiece that you are. And he's dealt to every one a measure of faith. Now, sacrifices, living sacrifices, don't have a status. But they do have a measure of faith. In other words, an assignment to ministry. In other words, a gift of grace. And this is so cool. Just, if you just look around the crowd, just kind of turn your head and stare at people for a moment. Go ahead. I'm, I'm serious. I'm not kidding. Look around. See, all these masterpieces, God has gifted you to work in the ecclesia. He has given you a measure of faith. Now, it's really cool. Keep it in perspective now. Keep it in perspective. Don't think more highly of yourself than you should. But think soberly and understand that God has given you a measure of faith. He has given you abilities and gifts to work in the ecclesia for his honor and for his glory. Whether you're the pastor, the worship leader, the associate pastor of youth or activities, whether you're a deacon, whether you teach Sunday school, whether you change diapers in the nursery, whatever it is, God has given you gifts and abilities. And it's all God. You want a little secret thing? Unless we change our minds, which as you see happens with the sermons... You know, we're going to talk about that talent one. I want you to understand something. And I believe this all my heart. You know, whether you stand on the stage with a microphone or whether you're back keeping the kids so a mom and dad could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we're faithful and that's where God's called us, it's the same reward. It's the same reward. You know, if God calls Brent to you know, youth and activities and he's faithful in that, do you understand he gets the same reward as Billy Graham? you understand that? God rewards faithfulness. God rewards faithfulness. So, so, so 
So Paul says, and I think sober about this, because God has dealt every person a measure of faith. Now, he gives us an illustration. Verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, isn't that true? You look at me, and I'm pretty symmetrical besides my ears. They're a little out of whack. Um, but I've got two hands, and they're about the same length. Okay? I've got two feet and two legs. I'm pretty symmetrical. And this body of mine is made up of many members. I mean, when you get up here, you don't see just one big eyeball. You see a functioning tool, as we talked about, with, with different members of the body. So Paul says, we have many members in one body. Now watch. And all the members don't have the same function. Would you agree with that? I mean, I've got legs to walk on. I, I, don't, I don't walk on my hands and eat with my hands. Okay? I have legs to walk, and I have hands that do other things. I have eyes that can see and ears that can hear and, and hair that somewhat protects my skin from the sun, kind of, sort of. It used to do a better job, but it's not quite there yet, but let's don't go there. So we have all these different things, these different body parts. Even though I'm one body, I have different members. And then Paul says this. So we. Go ahead and say, so we. Now, so we is the ecclesia, the called out ones. When we gather together as believers in Jesus Christ, we are the ecclesia, we are the we. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So Paul says, just like the body has many parts, so does the ecclesia. So does this thing called the body of Christ. We, we have one body, and we are commonly denominated by what? Not by the fact we're Baptists. Not because our name's on the roll or not on the roll. Not because some are young or some are old. We are one body because of Jesus Christ. He, his grace is the common denominator that holds us together. Do you understand that? See, see the problem in churches is, again, it kind of helps if you kind of think alike. I, I get that. I understand that. But the problem so often, we want, to, we want to humanize this thing. And we all say, okay, in order for me to have a church that works together, we all got to think exactly alike. We, we, we got we to gotta like, listen, listen, we got to like exactly the same music. We got to have exactly the same room temperature. We got to have exactly the same translation. Now, let me tell you something. You want trouble? Just start saying you got to be exactly like me. And the problem is, you want me to be exactly like you, but if I'm exactly like you, then I'm not exactly like someone else. And the person over there says, wait a minute, you're not exactly like me. And before long, we don't have an ecclesia in the sense of a group. We've got 300 people running around Harrisburg somewhere. If it's going to happen, we've got to remember the common denominator is Jesus Christ. Virgin born. God in the flesh. A sinless life. Willingly went to a cross. Took the wrath of God died, put in a grave, resurrected the third day, and coming again, that is our common denominator. That is Jesus Christ. Yeah, amen. Amen. So that's what holds us together. Now, Paul says, for that to happen, now here's where it all ties together. For that to happen, you got to have verse 4, verse 3, verse 2, and verse 1. In order for that to happen, you got to understand you have a gift. Now, again, I am not, you are not bound. Well, my name's not on the roll. Your name is on the roll. If you want to put our name on this roll, that's great. But I, if you are a regular tender here, if you are part of the Doorsville family, and I say, all you got to do is come two weeks and you're in. You have a gift 
that you can bring to the table. You can be a greeter. You can be in the parking lot. You can do all kinds of things. So, so you have a measure of faith that you bring to this ecclesia for the purpose of winning this world to Jesus Christ. So, so in order for us to function as one, we got to understand we have a measure of faith. we got to think. Remember, we can't think more of ourselves than we should. All right? Because, again, if that combinator is going to work, we can't think about us. We've got to think about him. Okay? And then, then, then Paul says, now back up one more. We've got to have a renewed mind. We have a mind that's going through a metamorphosis. We're not going to think like we used to think. We're going to let this mind be in us, which is also in Christ Jesus. And, and if that's going to happen, then we got back a little bit more. And we got to realize that we are being transformed and we refuse to be conformed. And we got to back up just a little bit further. And we got to understand we got to present our bodies as a what? Living sacrifice. Now, if we want to be the ecclesia that Christ will be glorified in, that's the process. Living sacrifice, not conformed, transformed, a renewed mind, given a measure of faith, not thinking too highly of ourselves, understanding we're one body with many members, each one gifted as God chooses to gift us, coming together to function as the body of Christ. Now, next week, as God gives me wisdom, and I believe I need it because... I just need it. Just trust me. We're going to come back and look at verses number 6, 7, and 8. And then perhaps go to 1 Corinthians. We'll see wherever God leads us. I may go with Peter. I'm not sure. But next week, come back. Because you might be going, okay, Dwayne, I, I got all that. What's my gift? And I wish I who I can't tell you. But I think there's some scriptures you can look at and see how we can discover what is my part in the ecclesia. How, how do I function in this ecclesia? And that's what we'll talk about next week. So, bottom line is this. First off, let me go all the way back to this. If you're here today and you've never received forgiveness of your sins by God's grace, this Jesus thing, you know, that's the first time I told you that someone actually died that you could have forgiveness of sins. That's the first step. That's the first step. You need to understand that you have sinned against holy God and there's not a thing you can do about it but believe in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world, He really did. He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God wants to make you His masterpiece. And that is simply done by His grace. By believing and turning from your sin. And, and Brent will be standing down front. I've got some friends down here. I'll be available. We would love to share you how God can make you a masterpiece through the blood of His own Son, Jesus Christ, by His amazing grace. And for the rest of us who already know Christ, your take home today would be this. Understand how much God thinks of you. You are his masterpiece. You're not the mess up kid. You are his masterpiece. As you understand that, you're going to reciprocate with like love. He is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied. The altar is going to be open today, and we are going to close with a prayer time. We've got lots of prayer requests today. But this morning, if you'd like to know more about Jesus, Brent will be standing down front. If you'd like to know about, well, how can I become an official part of Dorsville? Well, we've talked to you about that. If you're saved and you've never understood why, why baptism is important, we could talk with you about that. If you want someone to pray with you, we can talk about that. This is our time of decision. We invite you to come. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the privilege of sharing this today. And God, I do believe, I do believe, I do believe 
that this is so crucial in finding fulfillment and the purpose of life that you have for us. Father, help us to renew our minds. Allow a metamorphosis to take place. Father, help us to see ourselves as you see us once we're blood-bought, redeemed, white as snow, how that our sin that was red like crimson has been made pure, all because of Jesus Christ. And Father, for my friend who's never experienced that, maybe they've been turned off by church, maybe they, they've tried church and, and, they, and it didn't work and it won't work, today, give them the courage to step forward and say, I want to know more about this man named Jesus. Father, help us. Satan loves us bound up in knots. He loves us so that we're paralyzed by our failure. Today, may we be set free by your word and by truth. I love you, Jesus, and I pray this in your precious name.